Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we're going to feature audio from our first ever Sunday morning service in downtown Covington. It's kind of a one-time shot, trying it out, see if it's something we want to keep doing. This was on January 17th, and this is part one of a series, a season that we're looking into life connected, and specifically the next few months, how we connect to God. So the title of this message is Created to Worship. We're going to look at, at, the, at what it means to be a worshiper of Christ, and maybe even find out that there's a bit more to what worship is than what we've typically confined it to. So thanks for listening, and don't forget to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org for updates on vineyard events, downloads, and other pertinent information. All right, here's the talk. Before we get into what is worship, what does it mean to be human? Uh, I think that the prevalent answer in our culture right now, you know, we've been living in this kind of post-Enlightenment age. The Enlightenment happened in the late 1700s, and it was a time of, of tremendous progress in science and philosophy. It was a time where uh, America, the French, you know, they threw off the, the, you know, they had revolutions against their governments. And, and so there was this, this time of throwing off all the old and, and doing some new things. But the prevailing idea that has kind of emerged since then is that Basically, everything is scientific and rational, rationalistic. And so humans are just basically just biological creatures. There's no difference than, between you and me and a, and a squirrel or a dog or a cat. You know, we may be a little bit higher up on the food chain, but, you know, we're, we're basically, as human beings, we're just driven about by the same kind of biological imp- impulses to, to procreate, to survive, to ensure our species. And... Uh, that doesn't really do it for most of you, does it? You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't. I mean, that, that may be one answer, but it doesn't really solve the things. You know, I mean, actually, this idea that, that humans are, are a bit further evolved is kind of questionable when I come home and I see my own house cat because I think, you know, I don't know if you got a pet, but it seems like this whole evolution thing has worked out pretty good for, for pets because I see, I see Sabrina, my cat, we wa- I walk in and I'm amazed. I, I have to chuckle every day, you know, because I'll look over at the couch and it's like I've, I've opened the door and, and interrupted her beauty sleep. And, and Sabrina looks up at me, you know, and yawns like a five second, you know, and does this, this kind of stretch and quiver thing, you know, like, like, you know, the big stretch and then, you know, expects me to pet her. And, and, and I'm thinking, what do you have to be yawning about? You know, I mean, you spend like 23 out of the 24 hours of a day sleeping. And the other hour is divided up between moving locations to sleep and, and, and eating food that is provided to you on a daily basis by your servants, uh, otherwise known as humans. So whether humans are more evolved or not is debatable. <laughs> but that is the answer that, that is kind of prov- provided for us in our world. And I don't think that answer... You know, there may be some validity to, to certain aspects of it, but I don't think that answers the core things in our lives. That I think we all know that there's something more than just than just surviving, than just, you know, having kids. Kids aren't bad. Uh, 
you know, that just ensuring that our species goes on. So I want to look at three things that, that I see pop up wherever humans are. Three characteristics that are uniquely human. I don't see dogs or cats wrestling with these things, but these are human aspects. The first is creativity and art. You ever see your dog musing over how he can make something out of the sticks in the backyard? It doesn't really happen. You know, cats aren't worried about, you know, ways they can make their house. They don't have to worry. They've got other people's servants to worry about that. But, um, you know, humans, anywhere in the world where you go, at any time in history, you find this impulse to take stuff and make stuff. Whether it's, you know, scratchings on a cave wall you know, in New Mexico, or whether it's pottery excavated from the Middle East, whether it's people who build homes, people who build pyramids, Van Gogh, whatever, there's this impulse within all of us. You may think, I'm not very creative, but all of us have some kind of creative impulse. You may just make sandwiches for your kids, but we... (laughs) We all have this to some capacity. Some people are, are, are certainly more advanced on the, on the artistic side than others. But we all have this creative impulse. That's part of what being human is. What about music? You know, music is one of these things that tends to stump evolutionary biologists because they can't figure out what the heck, where does music factor in to helping our species? You know, Charles Darwin actually wrote this in uh, The Descent of Man. He said... As neither the enjoyment nor the capacity of producing musical notes are faculties of the least use to man, they must be ranked as the most mysterious with which he is endowed. Charles Darwin is like, I, you know, I can figure out some of these things. I can't figure out what the heck music has to do with anything. There's another guy named Steve Pinker. He's a cognitive scientist. Um, he's still alive. But he said this. He said, what benefit could there be to diverting time and energy to making plinking noises on an instrument. As far as biological cause and effect are concerned, music is useless. It could vanish from our species, and the rest of our lifestyle would remain virtually unchanged. That's, that's an answer from, from evolution. Yeah, yeah, you're like, don't take away, don't touch my music. <laughs> Try to take black-eyed peas away from my wife. You're going you're gonna to get in a fight. No. <laughs> We see, we see this impulse to music, whether you, you, you are musical or not, we see that all humans are, are somehow moved by music. You ever seen a, a, a little child uh, when they first experienced music? Like, I remember Tevia, my daughter, when she was like six months old, eight months old maybe. She couldn't walk, but she could prop herself up against the coffee table. You ever see this with, with your own kids? And you turn some music on, and if it's got any kind of beat at all, they just start doing this. <laughs> you know? They're moved by it from a young age. It's instinctual. Nobody has to teach kids to like music. We all have this thing in us. It's instinctual. It's part of being human. And we see this pop up again in all cultures at all times, from the Amazon jungle to the foothills of the Himalayas to the overconfident and slightly under-talented people trying out for the season of American Idol. <laughs> Anybody catch that this week? I don't know why I like watching it, but I just can't pull myself away. (laughs) And then there's worship. You know, just like creativity and art, just like music, worship is an instinctual thing that you can see looking in history, in all cultures, 
in all times, anywhere in the world where you see people, you see attempts for humans to connect with the divine. And it's just like art and just like music. It's every bit as instinctual. Nobody has to tell you to do it. If you're a human being, you're going to worship. And again, just like music and just like art, this stumps a lot of evolutionary biologists, particularly the atheist ones, you know, because I know there's, there, there's certainly a lot of scientists that have no problem harmonizing evolution and, and the biblical narrative. But folks that don't want to have any room for God in their life, this really stumps them. Like, what purpose does religion have? You know, there's a guy named uh, Richard Dawkins who, uh, you ever heard of him? He's uh, like the, the head of the new atheistic movement. And, uh, you know, he pushes this idea that, that religion, that, that worship, that God, this belief in God, is, it, it's, it's kind of outdated. It may have served us a purpose as a species at one time, but it's kind of like your appendix now. You know, like, like we've evolved past the usefulness of this organ. Like nobody knows what the appendix does. It's, you know, it just gets infected sometimes. And, 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 and that's the way they see God and our belief in God. But what if music, art... Worship. What if these weren't just random things? What if these aren't just, you know, novelties that we're carrying around that, you know, that, that we need to get over so we can progress as a species? But what if these are things that were actually put there by God? What if these, these instinctual things in human beings aren't just, you know, random traits? But what if this is put there by God? What if this says not something just about humans, but actually says something about our relationship to God? See, the Bible makes the point that, that you will worship. You, know, you can look all through the Bible. You're, you're going to worship, just like you're going to enjoy music, just like you're going to you know, make things, from sandwiches to paintings. You will worship. The question is, what or who will you worship? See, you know, folks like Richard Dawkins may be an atheist, but he worships. He, he worships. You, you don't have to believe in God to worship. You know, there's a band called Nine Inch Nails, a guy named Trent Reznor, and he wrote this song called Head Like a Hole back in probably 89, 90, taking it way back to my high school days. Uh, and in this song, he said, God money, I'll do anything for you. God money, just tell me what you want me to. Trent Reznor, he's not a Christian in the least, but he understands that you can serve money as a God. Anybody ever done that before? You can serve money as a God. You can serve all kinds of things as a God. So I want to kind of look at, at perhaps some, some, some ways we can define worship. You know, if you look in your dictionary, the definition is going to say something like this. Worship is the feeling or the expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Okay. That's pretty self-explanatory. We're singing to God this morning, expressing adoration, reverence. The word worship actually comes from, from an old English word, worth-ship, to, to give worth to something. So when we worship, we're actually ascribing worth to God. We're, we're, we're telling God he's worth something, right? Good definitions, but they're not very helpful, are they? I mean, they're, they're helpful in, the, in terms of, of, of formal acts of worship. But I think what we need here today is a bigger understanding of what worship is is about. See, worship, while it can include singing, like what we did this morning, can't, worship can be singing, 
it's much bigger than singing. While worship can be prayer, it's much, much bigger than prayer. See, worship, you know, worship's a lot bigger than what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's the orientation of your life. Is anybody else hot in here? Is it just a little bit? Okay. All right. That's what my wife says, but uh, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just had to go there. Had to go there. <laughs> Worship is the orientation of your life. What, what, is, what, is the, what is at the core of your life? What is the, the core thing that drives you? What's the direction you're heading? That's worship. I tell you, I love that song we sang this morning, Jesus, Be the Sinner. That's a great prayer. I, I do that. I, I sing that song a lot of times as a prayer. I'll be going into a meeting with somebody. I'm like, Jesus, be the sinner. Help me to be motivated by you and not by me. I'm having a discussion with somebody. I'm facing a situation. Jesus, be the sinner. That's the orientation of our lives. See, that's the way God is supposed to be. He's supposed to be the center of everything. Your job, your marriages, your marriage. <laughs> Not Mormons here. <laughs> your finances, even your free time. And some of y'all, that, that might be like a, a very threatening idea. You, you may be okay with Jesus being the center of this time, like, like center of like the hour at the North Shore Vineyard each week. Like, that's great. I'm glad God's the center of that time. But don't get in the center of my free time. <laughs> and you, you're afraid that if God gets in the center of all your, all your free time and stuff, like, like you're going to end up being this kind of, you know, weird holier-than-thou kind of person or a very prudish person that, you know, you just can't engage life at all. But, you know, understand, God wants to be the core thing in our lives. See, I, I put a little, I put some blanks there on your paper. Um, and, and, and this is a very simple definition for worship that I came up with. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not um, probably entirely theological correct, but I think it'll at least help us in a practical way. Worship is whatever you are ultimately looking to for life, happiness, and security. What you worship is, is whatever you are ultimately looking to for life, happiness, and security. That doesn't mean, like, you can't have fun with anything that's not God. Like, like you can't have fun watching the Saints game. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Uh, it just means that, that the ultimate thing that satisfies your life, your, your need for happiness, security, life, uh, besides the saints, <laughs> you know, at, at the core of your being is God. And when you understand worship in this light, you can begin to understand how easily we slip into idolatry. Now, I want to explain some of the idolatry that's been in my life over the years. I've been, uh, there's been times in my life where I've been in idolatry of relationships. I have looked to a woman to uh, be my... So- <laughs> Uh-oh, those are fighting words. <laughs> Good timing, Dina, yeah. <laughs> that was long ago, though. New man. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble when I get home. Y'all just pray for me right now. Um, <laughs> but there were times in my life where I looked to relationships to meet 
that core need for happiness, for security. My life became this other person. And that was idolatry. There was times in my life where I looked to status or success for security, for happiness, for my life, you know? Uh, as long as people liked me, as long as things were going good, as long as I was succeeding, things were great. But at the core of my being, that, that, that was the thing I was looking to for happiness in life. There's times in my life where I've looked to my own job, you know, my, my own vocation in life as, as a sense of happiness, as a sense of um, uh, security. Now, let me make it clear, there's nothing wrong with relationships or jobs or success or money. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, okay? But it's when we make these things our God that, that things don't work out very good for us. See, whenever we take this instinct for worship that was created for God alone and we turn it towards any other created thing, the Bible says we will become less. We, we're, we're lessened. We become less than what God had made us to be. The Bible actually makes it very clear that, that this path to idolatry will only bring destruction in our life. I want to look at a couple of, of, of scriptures here. I, I put them in the notes there, but um, this is the downward spiral to idolatry. Paul, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans 1, 21 through 25. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became full, futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, Paul says, when we know God... And, 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 and also before this, he, 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 actually, he actually makes the statement that, that none of us have an excuse to not know God. We, we've at least had some revelation of God in our life just by looking at the creation around us. We've, we've, we've had that feeling looking at, a, at the stars or, or, or looking at a newborn baby. We have this sense of the divine around us. But when we know that there's a God, but we refuse to turn our lives that direction, Paul says that, that, that our, our hearts become dark. We may appear to be wise to people. You may even have the letter PhD attached to your name. But inside, you're, you're becoming darkened. You're, you're, you're becoming enslaved. You're becoming less than what God had created you to be. But it's not just Paul who says this. We can go back to the Old Testament look in Psalm 115. I love this one. The psalmist writes, Not to us, O Lord, but to you goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? For our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. They cannot talk, though they have mouths, or see, though they have eyes. They cannot hear with their ears, or smell with their noses, or feel with their hands, or walk with their feet or utter sounds with their throats. And those who make them are just like them, as all who trust in them. See, that, that's a powerful statement about idolatry. Now, when we hear the word idolatry in our culture, it, it doesn't carry quite the same weight, because when was the last time you saw people worshiping statues, you know, in your neighborhood? 
You may. But, uh, you know, me and, me and Mike Manifold over here, we, we went to India a few years back to, to do an Alpha conference for some churches there. And in India, you walk about a block, half a block, you're bumping into, you know, idols everywhere. There's like 30, 32, 33 million deities that, that they worship over there, and they make these idols. But, but what the psalmist is saying, he says, those who make idols are going to become just like them. You know, an idol has eyes, has ears, has, you know, uh, it, it has all these anatomical things on it, but it's nothing. And, and the psalmist says that, that when we worship idols, we become like that. We, may, we lose our senses. We lose our sensitivity. We, we may still physically be able to see with our eyes and hear with our ears, but, but we disconnect on the inside. We stop being able to connect with people around us. We, we become blind, spiritually blind, emotionally. We, we, we can't hear. We may hear things, but we can't really hear what's going on. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, you will become like that which you worship. I love that. That's a, that's a if, if you don't take anything with you, take that with you today. You will become like that which you worship. The psalmist says if you worship idols, you're going to become like an idol. You're going to become, you know, insensitive to what's going on around you. But you know what? If you worship God, you're going to become more loving. You're going to have more peace, more security, more happiness, uh, more courage in your life, more fully human. See, we got this weird idea in Christianity that, that the, the whole point is God wants to make us all into angels when we die. Have you ever kind of had that idea? You know, like, like the whole point is that, you know, we, we stop doing every crazy thing, you know, and just clean up our lives. And then one day, you know, if we're lucky, we'll get to be a cloud, you know, an angel on a cloud playing a harp. And that doesn't sound very exciting to me. You know, that's why you hear people saying, it, so, you know, looking forward to going to hell because all my friends will be there and it's going to be a party down there, man. And uh, <laughs> because, they, they, frankly, they, you know, it's, it's these two possibilities, like, you know, angel on a cloud or, you know, hanging out with my friends doing what I like in hell, you know. And, uh, but the reality is when we worship God, it's not that we would turn into angels, so we become more fully human. We become, you know, God created humans. You know, the Bible's answer to that question of what is a human, the Bible's answer back in Genesis is humans, unlike every other animal, were created with the image and likeness of God. There's something about human beings that, that we're able to, to display something what, of what God is like. But that only happens when we're in connection to God, when we're in relationship with God. See, when we we're in a relationship with God, we become more fully human, more fully ourselves, more fully what God intended. But when we worship idols, we become less. You know, I, I used uh, an analogy for those who are in Alpha. So for if you were in Alpha, just bear with me. I, I just haven't talked about Lord of the Rings in like a week or two, I think. So, um, <laughs> so, so I, I just figure I, I needed to have, have the segment today. Um, but, you know, when I, fo- when I saw Lord of the Rings, there, there's this character in there that is, is pretty much everybody's seen the movie. If, if you haven't, it's okay. I'll explain it to you. But there's this creature in there called Gollum. And anybody remember Gollum? He's this, he's this creature that walks around. He, he, he takes a ring, and he's like, my 
Precious. And when you, uh, <laughs> you're trying to find the picture? Okay. Um, and when you see Gollum, when you see him, you, you, you're like grossed out by the guy. I mean, he's creepy. You know, he's, the first scene you see him in the movie, he's got these big bug eyes and, and he's, you know, always in the dark and he's just, you know. But what we find out in the movie that once he actually was a normal hobbit. He was just a regular, regular Joe hobbit, you know, um, living in a hobbit hole. But one day, his friend finds this ring while they're fishing, and, and covetousness comes up in his heart, and he wants it, and he actually kills his friend to get it. And then this, this ring begins to dominate his life, and he he's, he's simultaneously wants this ring. He's obsessed with it, but at the same time, he can't let it go. He, he's ashamed of it, but he can't let it go, and it controls his life until when we finally, you know, when we see him as Gollum, he's, he's, he's a fraction of his former self. He can't even remember his own name. He can't even remember what it was like to be normal. And to me, that's a powerful picture of what idolatry does to our lives. It takes us down. It turns us into something less. And you can see this You know, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, that's Hollywood, that's Lord of the Rings. No, you can see this. Maybe you've had people in your life and your family who've been addicted to drugs. Have you ever seen that before? you ever seen somebody, maybe you've had a friend who got off into drugs. And they they, they went from being just a normal, you know, happy, you know, person. All all, All of a sudden, now they start telling lies. Now they're telling lies on top of lies. Now they're stealing things. Now it's affecting them physically. Now they can't look you in the eye. Now they can't even keep track of their own lies. That's the progression of what idolatry does in our lives. But it's not just the down and out. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah, we, yeah we've seen drug, yeah, those, those silly drug addicts, those people who get addicted to drugs. But you know, it's up and outers too. You ever seen somebody get consumed with status, with success, with greed? You ever see that? And they start turning into a different person? Boy, you, you ever watch that show, you know, horror stories of the lottery or something, you know? That, just, just watch that show. See what, what it happens when people start looking to this, this, this new money from the lottery and, and, and they think this is the answer to happiness, to security, to life. And all this, it takes them down. I mean, people, you, you got Golem? Okay. <laughs> That's a lovely, uplifting picture. We, we couldn't have made it without that. Thank you, Brian. Okay, we're going to have nightmares now. Take it off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's not just down and outers, it's up and outers. There, there's people who, 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 who go after the, the great things. They may never get addicted to drugs, but yet the scars of idolatry it happens in their lives. You know, we can see this even in our culture these days. You know, back in uh, uh, around Thanksgiving, the stories started coming out about Tiger Woods. You know, it's rumored that there may be a mistress in Tiger Woods' life. Well, follow the story another week. It's rumored there may be three, maybe four. The next week, uh, eight, nine. Next week, 13, 14. Finally, they just stopped counting, <laughs> And here you, here you see, you know, and I'm not saying this to judge Tiger Wood in any way. I'm just saying that that's what idolatry does to us. See, he had everything. I mean, he was excelling in a, in, in a sport 
that no other African-American had ever made it into, and, and he made it to the very top, the best. There was no one better. Made it to be the richest athlete in the world. Was, was voted, you know, the, the, the best athlete of the last decade. He had sports endorsement deals with, you know, all kinds of companies. He had houses, cars, anything he wanted, a wife and kids, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So that's what idolatry does to you. You can't get enough. There was another guy I saw on the news by the name of Herman Smiles. Anybody recognize his name? You probably don't. He's not very famous. But uh, maybe you saw this story on the evening news a a few weeks back. Uh, December 21st, there was a story on the news that said there was a guy who uh, broke into a a Catholic church in Violet, Louisiana. And and they'd been having this toy drive for months. Been getting all these toys together. They were going to give them to underprivileged kids. Kids who, who might not get a Christmas present otherwise. And so they had all these presents And they were wrapped up, you know, ready to go. And they were all piled up underneath this crucifix in the Catholic Church. And the story was somebody broke in and stole 90% of of the presents that had been collected over the months that were wrapped up and ready to give. And you you watch that story, you go, that's low. I mean, that's that's not, you know, it's one thing to steal stuff from Target. (laughs) But stealing stuff from a church at Christmas? Like, like stuff that was going to be given to kids who might not get a present otherwise, like, like orphans and under... Yeah, that's, that's like l- the low of low. Well, they found this guy a couple of days later. His name was Herman Smiles, and, and it turns out he was addicted to crack. And, you know, I, I, I got to believe that this guy 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he probably would not have seen that in his future, that, <laughs> that he could have gotten that low. I mean, but that's it's just like... Golem character. That's what, that's what idolatry does to us. We get obsessed with it. We're repulsed by it, but we can't quit. We got to keep having more. And the stranglehold it makes us insensitive to others around us. You know, this guy, he 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 couldn't see anybody else. He couldn't see kids going without presents. He couldn't see anything. All he could see was getting his next fix. See, when we whether it's money or a relationship or status or drugs or success, when we look to anything else for life apart from God, when we look to anything else for happiness, anything else for our security, we become less. The image of God within us is lessened. Our freedom that we would have is, is replaced with addiction and obsession. Love is replaced with an insatiable lust for more. If you've ever been in idolatry in your life, you know that that's exactly what it is. Can you ever get enough? Can you ever have enough money? Can you ever feel like people like you enough? Can this other person ever do enough to satisfy you? No, it's just the the satisfaction of the temporary success of the next fix. But when we acknowledge God, when we worship God, when we let him be the center and our source of life is a reason for living. We find true freedom. We find true security and true happiness that actually transcends our circumstances. See, the reality is when we worship God, we're free to actually be in relationship. We're free to enjoy success. We're free to, to actually enjoy the things around us without them strangling our lives. Well, I want to close with a couple of thoughts on worship.
Worship, number one, it starts with God. You know, a lot of people, they, they, they think that worship basically starts with me. It starts with my needs, my wants. And that's what sets Christianity apart from a lot of religions. It doesn't start with me trying to get God to, to, to change everything, you know, me trying to manipulate God into, uh, you know, getting on my side so I can get all these things. I said, no, worship starts with God. How's the Bible start? In the beginning, God. The Lord's Prayer starts with our Father in heaven. Even Jesus said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That, that's, that's where it starts. That's where worship starts. And if any time, if we start any other place than that, we're going to slip into idolatry. All of a sudden, your needs and your wants are going to become much bigger. You know, there's a, a, a phrase in the Bible. You see this all the time through, through the Psalms. You ever heard this phrase, magnify the Lord? What does that mean? What's it mean to, mag- you know, what, what's it mean to make the biggest person bigger (laughs) i mean how's that happen it's not that we're making god any bigger it's we're making him bigger in in the landscape of our mind we're 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 lessening everything else see i've found in my life that i can either magnify my problems or i magnify god it's usually one or the other (laughs) you know get into financial things all of a sudden, you know, it can, it, it can be one or two little things, and then the next thing, it's become this mountain. You, you, you become obsessed with it, and pretty soon you start thinking, that's your security, that's your hope, that's your, help, you know, your happiness. But when we magnify God, we get perspective. We see that these things that seem to be mountains in our life aren't really mountains at all before God. See, understand this. God wants to meet all your needs. God's you know, the Lord's Prayer, it goes on after that to talk about, you know, give us our daily bread, you know, forgive us our sins. After Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, he also talks about, you know, God's going to take care of your house and your clothes and all the things that you need in your life. God wants you to have those things. But those things can't be first. First, God. He's got to be the sinner. So today, I want to end this time together by by worshiping God, by magnifying God together. I just want us to sing a couple more songs. And, 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 and I want you to think, before we step into this, are there areas in your life where things are bigger than God to you? When I'm talking about, you know, looking to money or status or success or a relationship, do you identify with that? Do you say, that, man, that's me. You know, if, if the relationship's going good, I'm happy. If, if, if I'm successful at work, I'm happy. You know, if, if God's the center, happiness, you know, the stuff will come up, up and down, but you'll be solid. You'll have a joy that surpasses. So I want you all guys to stand up. I want to get the band up here. And we're just going to close with a couple of songs here.